Hey, what's going on? It is at the letters for Tuesday, February 16th. Arden Welling and Ben Nicholson Smith. Our producers are Mike Tassoni and Christian Ryan Ben. Spring is here. It is time. Spring training starts this dang week. Are you ready? Uh, yeah, I, I am ready. Um, being ready this year requires confidently. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's so much less preparation than it normally would be, right? Because yeah. you know, in a typical spring, we would uh, both be lucky enough to spend some time down in Dunedin, Florida, and that of course requires weeks and weeks of coordination with shy with other people, TV, radio. You're trying to make sure that everything comes together in a really well-planned way, that our coverage is there, that we've booked the right flights and made sure that we're there at the right times. This year, you know, there's no flights to book. There are no hotels to book. It's much more straightforward in a certain sense. But of course, uh, you know, I'll miss not being in Florida this year. That's for sure. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm bummed to not be going down. It's going to be weird, man. It's going to be interesting just how spring is kind of covered this year right with uh you know kind of sounds like at least in the early going charlie montoya was kind of kind of be the uh the white house press secretary a little right. bit right <laughs> just go out and read the news of the day and Pretty what's much. happening you know it's going to be tough right with not having eyes on bullpens and, and not having eyes on what's going on on the field and you know who is throwing and actually more importantly like who isn't throwing who's taking reps at various positions around the diamond you know and even just like that hour of time that you get in the clubhouse every morning in the spring training, like 8 a.m. to 9 a.m., when players are at their lockers and you can have conversations with them and learn stuff and get to know them and, and get to tell their stories. It's, it's always a really valuable time from a journalist's perspective because, you know, everybody's pretty relaxed. It's early in the morning. Nobody's in a slump yet. Like nobody's lost a game yet. You know, uh, typically nobody's really hurt yet. So uh, it's, it's the beginning of the season and the grind hasn't really gotten to anyone. So it is a really good time to kind of set up your entire year and your entire season as somebody who covers a team. So it's going to be interesting to try to navigate these these next six weeks from here in Toronto. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you just think about some of the times that we're actually closest to the actual game of baseball is at spring training. You know, right. in the course of the season, we have good seats. You know, for the most part, we're in press boxes that are pretty close to the action and definitely not complaining about watching a ball game from a press box. In fact, that sounds awesome right now. But <laughs> You know, in spring, it's it's honestly up another level. Like you can watch bullpens at times from me to the end of this table. Like it's a matter of feet rather than any other sort of measurement. You're so close. It's so intimate with the swings at BP, the bullpen sessions that are happening, the interactions between coaches and players, the drills that are happening. It's not 200 feet away from you in the outfield. It's 10 feet away from you along the right field line. So it just leads to a different level of understanding and intimacy with what's happening obviously not necessary this year and so that's just the way it is but certainly it's it's a lot of fun to be that close and it, it just it lends a, a different kind of perspective on on the preparation that goes into a major league season at the gang mounds kind of the complex that you are standing like you're the ump <laughs> like right beside behind yeah. the catcher and you get such a cool perspective just on guys stuff just on how hard guys are throwing and how their uh, stuff is moving. Like, it, you, you know, the further away you get from the game, whether it's the first row of seats, whether it's the press box, whether it's on TV from home, the slower it looks and, you know, the easier it looks. And, you know, just like you just lose something with each level of remove. So to be right there, like literally, you know, as the ball's coming at you, you really do get that really valuable perspective 
on how insanely hard it is to make good contact in MLB. It's insane that anybody ever hits a, a home run. Like the, you know, the, the way some of this stuff moves, like the one I'll, I'll never forget is, uh, and this wasn't even like a bullpen. This was just, just throwing, just playing catch on flat ground, R.A. Dickey. And I'm standing behind Josh Tolley and Dickey is throwing knuckleballs to Tolley. And like this thing is, I don't know how anybody hit it. And he's just throwing on the, you know, he was probably throwing 50, 60%. Like it's, he's not on the mound or anything. He's not full there. And this thing is just all over the place. It was unbelievable to watch. Yeah. And even just seeing some of the, you know, again, like they're not on mounds necessarily, but just they're warming up and they'll snap off maybe a breaking ball or slider here and there. You're like, oh my goodness, this is like, this is crazy. And this is <laughs> how like, do you do that? Yeah, <laughs> it's it's truly remarkable. I always think like, you know, for anyone who's able to, I think it's a good idea for anyone covering a sport to try to play it once in a while. And so, you know, for me, I try to play baseball once or twice a year, you know, at least play catch. And it's even then it's a reminder, <laughs> especially as you yeah. get a bit older, you're like, oh man, this hurts. And then, uh, you know, being that close during spring training is a great way to kind of reinforce that. So let's take a look at some of these, uh, some of the storylines and some of the things that we are looking for heading into Blue Jays camp as, as it opens. And uh, let's start with pitching because that's probably going to be sort of the big topic throughout camp. And it's still like somewhat of a lingering topic, like from the off season. Like, how do you feel about the starting corpse that the Blue Jays have assembled? Do you think that there is still an addition to be made there? Do you think they are fine as is? How do you how do you see this shaking out? I think it's okay. I mean, it's it's the weak spot of a really good offseason. I think when you look at this this Jays team and, and what they did in the course of the last few months, they're way better. And it was a really good offseason. But if there's a weak spot in this offseason, it's what they did with the starting rotation. And that's Robbie Ray, Stephen Matz, Tyler Chatwood might have a chance to win a rotation spot the way things are shaping up now. Uh, Liriano, of course, in a minor league deal. You know, it's a little bit better. They've nudged things forward from where it was, but it's not a lot better. My sense is that this team right now is is close to tapped out from a financial standpoint. I, I don't get the sense that you know they're going to sign anyone to a multi-year deal. I think they're focused on shorter term. And even on shorter term, like I don't think they've got a ton of breathing room. I don't think they're going to win you know, or, or be in a rush to get into bidding wars for these guys. So as much as a Taiwan Walker would be a fit on paper. I don't even necessarily see him as a super likely fit for this team right now. What do you make of James Paxton going to Seattle for a year, eight and a half, I think it was maybe eight with, you know, bonuses that could take it to 10. You know, when you look at it, sort of compare it to the Kluber deal at 111, it's like, oh, that's kind of light, but there's got to be a reason for that. And there's probably got to be a reason that the Blue Jays didn't get involved at that level. Yeah, totally. And I don't know exactly what that reason is. I'd like to find out. But, you know, I think when you look at Kluber and Paxton, I thought, you know, they were pretty comparable. I thought they were the two most comparable pitchers. You know, if you're trying to compare Paxton to anyone, I thought it would be Kluber. So I thought Paxton would probably be around that number, give or take. And he was below it by, you know, a couple million, which is which is significant, I think, in in the one-year market. And so what it suggests to me, I don't know if this is the case, but it suggests that that bullpen session he had for teams maybe was less than impressive. I don't know. That's reading between the lines. But, you know, if, if he went out there and he had his vintage stuff, maybe that price is a little bit closer to Kluber's. 
it's kind of like an Occam's razor kind of thing. Like there's always a simple explanation for, for things yeah. like this. So it could be the bullpen session and maybe it wasn't that impressive or, or maybe, you know, he's, he's not holding his velocity the way that the clubs would want to. Maybe there's something in the medicals that, you know, teams aren't thrilled about. Again, I'm just speculating, but I'm just looking at what the simple kind of explanations could be. You know, maybe he just wanted to be on the West Coast. Maybe the Blue Jays were like, hey, we'll give you it. A, you know, one and 11 million. And he was just like, eh, yeah, I just kind of want to be out West because that's where I'm from, you know, and I'm going to go play in Seattle for a year. I mean, like there's, you know, or maybe as you alluded to earlier, like the Blue Jays just couldn't afford the price. Like couldn't beat what, what Seattle was offering in, in a meaningful way or what it would take to beat it was beyond what they had set their walkway at. So uh, I would think that of these possibilities that we've identified, you know, one of them is the likely scenario. What's interesting is then to spin that off into how it would impact Walker or Odorizzi. I think, you know, we, we both anticipate Odorizzi is going to get multiple years, certainly. Walker, I mean, we, we went into it on the last episode, 270 RA, made all of his starts, 28 years old. It's kind of wild that he's, you know, that he wouldn't get multiple years, but even on a one-year deal, you would think that it would be 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 million dollars somewhere in there. Um, that might just be prohibitive for the Blue Jays at this time. Yeah, it's it's interesting. And and you know, the Jays had interest in Paxton. They've had interest earlier in the offseason and in Walker and and even in Odorizzi. So I mean, those guys are fits on paper, but my sense is that the team would probably have to get a bit more creative as far as structures. You know, you see Kevin Pillar's deal with the Mets in two years and, you know, there's a player option and then there's a team option on top of that, all of which is designed to lessen the 2021 CBT hit for the Mets. So if the Blue Jays wanted to get into that territory for these guys, sure, you could do it. But I don't sense, not that it's a CBT issue for the Jays, but I don't sense that that's the way the team is is leaning at this point. And again, this is reading between the lines, but you know, I don't think that I'm not holding my breath for Jake Odorizzi, not holding my breath for Taiwan Walker at this point. I think this is the team they're going to start with. We'll see, you know, things can change and the need exists. I mean, there's no question about that. None of what I'm saying here is meant to take away from the fact that this team absolutely could use a number two starting pitcher. And that need will exist maybe for months, maybe for years. We don't know, but they, definitely, uh, you know, that opportunity exists right now. I don't sense that anything is imminent, though. And then I guess the calculus that the Blue Jays would do at that point is like, okay, so we could, you know, blow the rest of our budget or like to creatively use the rest of our budget or whatever, like find a way to to bring in a Walker or an Odorizzi or we could have done it with Paxton. But then we're not really saving any wiggle room for in the season and for the trade deadline and for, you know, down the line. And the trade-off there is, okay, bringing in an Odorizzi or a Walker, say like a projection of one and a half, two wins as a player, would you think? Like three in a really, really good scenario. As Blue Jays, you might be like looking internally at like some combination of like Trent Thornton or Anthony Kay or Thomas Hatch and saying, well, like we could probably get something like that out of one of these guys or close to it. And then we can get to the trade deadline and reassess and see where we're at. And then maybe we end up going after the 2021 version of Taiwan Walker and Robbie Ray from from last trade deadline. And we have a bit of money to work with because we saved a little bit of it so we can take on some salary here. And, and like, you know, think about the San Francisco Giants, right? Playing in the NL West with two absolute like behemoth teams. If they aren't in it, 
come July 31st and hey man, Kevin Gossman's on an expiring deal and you can't qualify him again. And we know the Blue Jays like Kevin Gossman. He wouldn't take their money two winters in a row. Well, they could just force him to play for yeah. them <laughs> by yeah. trading for him. Yeah. Maybe that lines up, right? Like there's going to be a lot of pitchers like that available come the trade deadline who the Blue Jays can get. And as we saw last trade deadline, the price isn't super, super steep for guys like that. Um, and the Blue Jays certainly have the prospect capital to pay that price. So if you have that prospect capital, you preserve that budgetary room. I think the Blue Jays can feel good about staying in the race, staying competitive through the first three, four months of the season, and then get to that point and be like, all right, if we need to address our pitching, we can go out and do that. And we still have that ability. So I, I could see them arriving at that conclusion. Yeah. Agreed. You know, and I think that it's probably the difference between an A plus off season and an A minus off season, really. Like they had a really good off season. I think it's the best off season in recent memory that I can certainly think of. Obviously, in hindsight, the Donaldson trade was actually great. And so was the Russell Martin <laughs> signing. So 1415 was good, but this is, I mean, that's six years ago. So this is the best off season they've had probably in six years. And I, you know, if they had added Gosman, like if he had taken that deal and they had him for three years and 40 million or whatever it was, it's probably an A-plus offseason, you know, to address their pitching, their their infield, their outfield, their their bullpen, that probably would be the A-plus offseason, you know, and, and at this point, it's more like an A or an A-minus. So they've it doesn't mean that they're a perfect team. You know, they're still up against the Rays who added, you know, Rich Hill the other day, which is super interesting what they're doing with their pitching staff. Um, just kind of using the IL as an option, kind of taxi squad there. Uh, the Red Sox aren't as bad as I think a lot of people think. Like the Red Sox are kind of going to be okay this year and maybe better than that. So it's it's a tough division that they're in. It's that's always the case. It's stating the obvious, but the Jays are are way better equipped to contend in that division than they were a few months ago. So let's talk about who is actually here to be uh, to be starting pitchers. So, you know, I feel pretty comfortable, you know, writing in Hunjin Ryu, Nate Pearson, Robbie Ray, Tanner Roark to this to this quote unquote rotation. I put rotation quotes because I don't know what a rotation is going to be this season. Like, I don't know if it's going to be just a traditional five guys on turn. I would almost like doubt that. I don't know what it's going to look like towards sort of the, the back end of it where the Blue Jays have clearly stockpiled sort of fungible dudes. Tyler Chatwood and Ross Stripling, Julian Merriweather's on the team, Stephen Matz even you could put into that category. So like these sort of these fungible arms, like how are they going to be used? Are we going to see something that sort of looks like piggybacking, but isn't like, you know, directly called piggybacking coming into the start? Are the Blue Jays going to run with like six, a six-man rotation? at times all i'm certain of is that every team's going to need a, a real bottomless pit of pitching depth because you are going from 60 games to 162 so that is like a 170 percent increase in in innings that need to be covered so you're going to need bulk out of your bullpen and you're going to need spot starters and like you're going to need guys with options who can be coming up and down from from AAA, I mean, you're going to have a lot of dudes, you know, having to miss starts and take 10 day ILs because of inflammation and fatigue and soreness and strains. Like, so you're going to need the ability to backfill with legit major league arms, like with guys who throw strikes with legit 
major league pitchers that get swing and miss and soft contact from big league hitters. You know, I think the Blue Jays have built out that depth as well as they can. Is it going to be deep enough? I don't know. And I'm not sure any team's going to have enough of it in this strange season. Yeah, you need so many, so many arms. And and guys with options like Merriweather, Thornton, Zoic, Waguspack, I mean, those guys can be useful just as far as shuttling back and forth. And we know that we're going to see that, of course, um, from the Blue Jays and from most teams this year. So I think that's one aspect of, of the pitching staff that we're going to see. Um, as you said, you, you kind of have some veteran guys plus Pearson. You kind of assume as long as they're healthy, they're probably going to start just about every turn in the rotation. Um, but health can come and go really quickly. So I almost think that, you know, if you're Pete Walker and Charlie Montoyo and Ross Atkins mapping this out, I almost think that like they're probably looking three to five days ahead of time at once. Like I, I just think you chunk it into into these little, little chunks as opposed to thinking, you know, a month ahead. And so and so you just you compile all the arms you can, figure out who's healthy on a given moment keep a few guys on the taxi squad and then make it up almost day by day. Yeah, no. And I, so I think we are going to see Trent Thornton have his starts to make and Thomas Hatch have his starts to make and TJ Zoic and Anthony Kay. And then we're going to find some things out about these guys. And it's actually kind of a good year for the Blue Jays to find some things out about those types of pitchers. Cause while they have certainly like taken a step forward, no one's going to pick them as a favorite in the American league East. The Blue Jays are competing for a wild card spot this year which is an improvement over what they were doing entering 2020 obviously they got there at the end of the year in, in an expanded postseason but this year they're that's the tier that they're in right now and even if you did sign a paxton or a walker it doesn't bump you up to you know surpassing the yankees so this is a good year to kind of find out like if a k is going to be a thing if a thomas hatch is going to be a thing like to kind of let the kids pitch a little bit and we even like we call them kids but right. <laughs> Thomas Hatch is like 26. Julian Merriweather is like our age. Yeah. <laughs> right? no, yeah. I know. It's, yeah. Know, Julian Merriweather is like in his 30s. Yeah. Uh, Trent Thornton is like 28. Yeah. These are guys no, who are not like kids. Yeah. entering their athletic primes. So the, let them pitch. Like, yeah. let's see what you have, right? And see if they're a thing because you, you're not going to have that type of opportunity next season, whenever the next season is with the work stoppage. Because that's when it's like, it's go time. It's win time, baby. Like it is, we are signing somebody from the top of the free agent market and we are like pushing ahead. And Jordan Groshans is a big leaguer and Simeon Woods Richardson is a big leaguer. And like, here we go. So right now is actually a good time to use some of that opportunity and find out what you have. And that's kind of the other side of bringing in like Notorizia Paxton Walker. There is an opportunity cost there. For sure. But, you know, don't you think it's win time now for this team? Just where they are and after after the additions they've made? I mean, win a wild card. Like, yeah. I don't think they're going to win the AL East. No, I don't, I don't. I wouldn't predict they will. Yeah. I will not. In fact, I will predict that the Yankees will. But, um, and, and look, I mean, that's like the only reasonable prediction that you could have, really. Yeah. Like, you know, maybe some people know some stuff that we don't. Like, based on the information that's out there, the Yankees, that's the reasonable choice. But there are all kinds of favorites across baseball in any given decade that fall short of, fall short of their potential. And so maybe the 2021 Yankees will be one of those teams. Like, for all, I know the rotation projects to be good, but, you know, if, if Garrett Cole, you know, and I hope that this doesn't happen, I like watching Garrett Cole, but if he pulls a hamstring, he's out for six weeks, at the beginning of the year, like all of a sudden that rotation is just not that good. Like, and I know I, it's, I know it's weird to say, but there's maybe not good is, is, is the wrong way to describe it, but 
there's just so much volatility in that rotation, so much uncertainty. You know, is Tyone going to be ready? Is Kluber going to be ready? Herman's coming back. Severino's coming back. Like, I just, I don't necessarily see that rotation as just this, like, solid entity. So I, I think there's a sliver of opportunity for the Jays at, atop the division. I would suggest that there is going to be even more volatility this year in baseball than normal just because of the season that we're coming off of, and particularly from a from a pitching perspective, right? Because nobody knows how a lot of these guys are going to react to having this weird year where their workloads were all screwed up and their routines were all screwed up. Now you're starting a new year where, like, everybody's got to play 162 again. So, uh, like, that, nobody knows how this is going to play out like we like ben we don't know what we don't know right (laughs) so um we you know like i think think about it this way going into the 2020 season was jordan romano thought of as a high leverage back of the bullpen weapon was teoscar hernandez being talked about as like an mvp candidate as like a silver slugger winner and that it, and it cuts the other way, right? Whereas going into the 2020 season, I think we would have said, yeah, look, Tanner Roark's been like a league average guy his entire career. We would expect that he'll continue to be league average. Has had some problems with home runs and his home run to fly ball rate's been like really um, uh, elevated over the last couple of years. So like you would expect that to regress to the mean. None of those things happened, right? So like some of the things that we believe now and that people believe now about this pitching staff with Blue Jays chances about players who aren't going to be an impact players who are are going to be proven wrong you know and there are players on this team who are going to emerge and outperform their expectations and there are players who are going to underperform what you expect them to do and then there are players who like you might be thinking you know expecting a whole bunch of play appearances from or a whole bunch of innings from who are going to suffer you know a, a a really bad injury in the second month of the year and be done so or if, you know if Tanner Roark has a 6.5 ERA on May 15th, yeah, like, I don't think he's I don't think he's assured of a roster spot on May 16th. You know, totally. and, and that that applies to a lot of different players. So that that is kind of like the the uh, Dunning Kruger aspect of all this. Like we just we don't know, right? So you know, I'm certainly going to be as guarded as possible in <laughs> trying to predict this season because I think it's just going to be a strange one, and I think the volatility is going to be um, increased. What do you think about the bullpen? That the Blue Jays have built, um, and and you know they've really layered in a number of pieces there, and this kind of ties into the discussion we just had about like what the rotation is going to be, and who's going to be in the bullpen and who's not, and how guys are going to be used out of the bullpen. Will it look like 2020, where we saw a lot of bulk outings out of there? Will guys like Ryan Barucki kind of fall back into like a one inning role? Into you know, will we see more shorter stints? out of guys like the one thing that you would have heard from a lot of guys in that bullpen in 2020 was like we could not have done this over six months over two months sure like we, you can pitch us like this and we can have the workloads that we're putting up but over six months it's not sustainable so what do you think of what the blue jays are entering the season with in the bullpen i think if kirby yates is healthy then this bullpen's really good and you know he's saying that he's he's been throwing and feeling good so that's a great sign Obviously, the Blue Jays believe that he's healthy or they, they wouldn't have signed him. But he's just such a huge potential difference maker for this staff. And I, I think that anytime you add someone like him who can be just a dominant, like you think Jordan Romano and Rafael Dolis were good last year, like watch some Kirby. And I know you have Arden, but watch some yeah. Kirby Yates clips from 2019. Whoa, was that guy ever good? So that's a potential huge addition. 
And I think that with Romano and Dolis, AJ Cole back on a minor league deal, Baracki out of the bullpen, th- those are all good pitchers. David Phelps, you know, he obviously didn't have a good year in 2020, but see what happens as he, you know, gets a bit of a you know more sample size. Obviously, these these tiny little home run issue guys from 2020 guys like Mats or Phelps. I mean, the Blue Jays seem to be making a bet that those are small samples that aren't reflective of how good these guys really are. So collectively, I think it's a group that should be pretty good. I do think there's room for a second lefty reliever. You know, like what happens if Ryan Barucki's gone two days in a row and you need someone to get out, you know, who, whatever lineup you're facing that, that day. I mean, the Rays have a lot of lefties. The Red Sox have a few lefties with guys like Devers and Verdugo. So you need to have answers to that. I don't see great answers to that, but it, you know that's starting to nitpick. I think big picture, it's it's a pretty it's a solid group in the bullpen. Yeah, I will say the Blue Jays haven't been hesitant to go without a second lefty in recent seasons. Yeah, like we seen, like I don't know that like philosophically they they believe that you need a second no. lefty. No, and and there are um, good arguments to not even needing that. So that's fine. And they'll typically identify a, a right-handed pitcher in the bullpen who has like reverse splits and who has stuff that's effective against left-handers. Um, yeah, so you think I was like hesitant to make any like bold predictions about the starting rotation? Like, hello bullpen, where who the hell knows, man? Again, going into 2020, when the bullpen was like Ken Giles is the closer, was which was like, all right, you feel pretty good there. His setup men were like Jordan Romano, who was not Jordan Romano yet, was like coming off of a friggin' seven and a half ERA season and was unproven. Rafael Dolis was coming over from you know a few years in in japan who knew what you were going to get from him and anthony bass who came off waivers and like that was the back end of yeah. your bullpen i don't think that going into 2020 i would have said this is going to be a strong bullpen it turned out to be a strength so it, like it's just it impossible to predict what it's going to be i mean the the biggest question for me really is just who's going to stay healthy because i just think that like that's the biggest question for all pitchers this year is like who's going to make it <laughs> who's yeah. going to get through this thing you know how many arms are you going to need to go through like do we get to you know a point in may where it's like jordan amano has something bothering him and kirby sneeds you know had a little setback Yates, and yeah. uh sorry just kirby Yates. Yates. what did i say kirby sneed <laughs> i mean let's hope he doesn't have a setback <laughs> well, all right well yeah <laughs> i hope he doesn't a couple either. kirby's yeah. on this team yeah, what kind of team has two Kirby? <laughs> yeah. Right, Kirby Yates has a setback, um, and then yeah, and then all of a sudden it's like you're like looking around, and the Blue Jays are again off on waivers, like looking for you know the, the Brian Morans of this world, right? So like that can happen very quickly as well. I don't know. Um, I just think the Blue Jays are going to need as much depth as possible, and I think they have built a good amount of depth, but I just don't know that any team can build as much as it's going to need. Yeah, and so you have to be prepared to add during the season and it's tough to do in the early months of the year when you kind of have to write out what you have then july 31st you can make some additions and i can already guarantee we'll be writing articles about you know what do they need to do or what could they do you know as you said with gosman it's almost not even too early to start looking at who the, <laughs> who could be out there you know, i'm sure they've thought about it internally right i'm sure that this is uh a thought that has crossed the minds of the Toronto Blue Jays brain trust as well. They're looking at the uh, the Danny Duffy's of this world, and you know Dylan no, Bundy. Yeah, Never too that? early to send out a pro scout, see what's see what's going on. Yeah, what's Texas going to do with Jordan Lyles? You know, if they aren't in it, so uh, so it's important to remember that. It's important to remember it's a long haul. And I just the last thing in this segment I'll say is that it's important to remember like 
it doesn't matter who breaks on opening day. Like your opening day roster does not matter because it's probably going to, you know, the, the roster for the first game of the first series of the year is going to be different than the roster for the first game of the second series of the year. The reliability. If you is. lose by six runs on opening day, you're optioning someone that evening, <laughs> right? Whoever yeah. picked up those garbage innings, like he's probably gone. No. So I think that, you know, uh, always you should look more at like kind of the totality of the 40 yeah. man. But this year in particular is the totality of 40 man uh, that matters. And maybe we'll talk a little bit about that on the position players side uh, when we continue on at the letters. It continues on at the letters, Arden Swelling, Ben Nicholson-Smith, our producers, Mike Tassoni, and Christian Ryan. Ben, I want to pick up on something that I mentioned at the uh, the end of the first block there, and that's just the Blue Jays' 40-man roster. And the fact that the Blue Jays are having to make more difficult decisions on sort of the fringes of that roster than they were in prior years. You know, I like in 2020, 2019, 18, etc., you know, you could pretty much pick which guys were going to be DFA next. Like it was, you know, there was some flack, some chaff. <laughs> Sometimes it wasn't so easy to pick. Sometimes um, you had like a multiple choice, uh, you know, set of oh, options, yeah. oh, each oh, of true. which was equally compelling. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, <laughs> but I guess what I'm trying to say is like now the Blue Jays are kind of making tougher decisions. Yeah. Um, you look at Shun Yamaguchi being DFA'd and the Blue Jays saying like, hey, we're just, we're in a position where the thing that makes the most sense for us is to like eat three plus million dollars you look at Derek fisher being dfa'd that's a player that the blue jays front office clearly liked and wanted to give opportunities to and people clearly believed in them and they were like we just don't have that opportunity to give anymore and that's the odd man out like i just think that the blue jays have built a a much deeper 40 man and you know the the edges of it are now populated with like interesting young up-and-coming prospects like an auto lopez um you know players like that so it's it's uh it's you know i just think it's kind of an under the radar thing that's happened for this club where i'm not saying they're they have the 40 of the rays or the 40 of the dodgers but they are moving more in that direction than they have been in recent years for sure and you know the 40 man is really important especially when the 25 man roster is is in flux all the time so what are you really dealing with? It's the 40 players. So that matters a lot, the overall strength of that 40-person group. And in this case, as you say, Arden, like when you're cutting loose guys like Yamaguchi, Derek Fisher, it just illustrates that this team has gotten better at the bottom of its roster because the Jays were watching the games last year too. Like they knew that Derek Fisher totally botched catchable balls in the outfield and that he was basically not trustworthy defensively like how could you trust him after after watching that game unfold but they didn't have someone better to put on the 40 man so you're not going to just you know dfa him out of spite and you know potentially lose out on an opportunity you wait until there's something better and now we're at the point in the offseason where yamaguchi fisher these guys were obviously not necessary to the to the blue jays and some people would say they weren't even necessary in 2020 but the fact is now the Jays have have better players to replace them with. And so, you know, like I, I look at the I look at the roster now and it's there's probably one guy, you know, Joel Pyamps, like you could cut him without losing too much sleep. Beyond that, it starts to get a little bit harder. 
Yeah, if you need a spot for an AJ Cole or a Francis Guerriano yeah. or a Joe Panic, um, which you probably will for one of at least of those guys, I would think for one of those guys. Yeah, uh, certainly. Let's so you yeah you you brought something up that I like. Let's just touch on. Let's do a little aside, a little Derek Fisher aside, okay? Because we're we're never going to talk about him yet. So can you think of a player who had a more um, toxic, hostile time <laughs> as a Blue Jay? No. Like, can you think of a guy who was like just more just like anytime you just anything you did or anytime you wrote about him or threw his name out there, it was just like hitting sticks of dynamite together. Oh, yeah. I can't think of somebody for a player who, by the way, made like 150 plate appearances as a Blue Jay. That's it. Like did play appeared in like 50 games. Appeared in like uh, like it, the totality of his Blue Jays career was like a third of a season. Oh yeah. Now Arden, let me put you on the spot here for a second. This is a little bit unfair, but it's more for the purpose of, of people listening in. So if yeah. you had to guess, what what would you say Derek Fisher's OPS was in 2020? I don't know, 750, 8.11, <laughs> which which I think is probably a lot higher than what most people would have guessed. But like, how many plate appearances did he have? 40? 39. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, the guy barely played. Yeah. And it was like at everything, like the quote unquote discourse around him was yeah. so hostile. Discourse is putting it gently. <laughs> yeah. And so no. toxic. Like, dude, Yonervis Solarte played like an entire year for this team. Wouldn't run out ground balls. That guy made like 500 plate appearances. Nobody hated him nearly as much as people hated Derek Fisher. Brandon Jonathan Drury. VR. Just yeah. Disaster. Ryan Goins was beloved in this market. He had like, a standing ovation. <laughs> nothing against the guy. Yeah. But I would I would bet you want to play the OPS game. I would bet you Derek Fisher's got a much better OPS for his career than Ryan Goins. Derek Fisher had a 690 in his Blue Jays career. Let's see Ryan Goins. So, here. so look at Ryan Goins. I mean, and that's a guy who multiple, multiple seasons, I'm sure well over a thousand plate appearances. Six eleven. Yeah. Six eleven for Ryan Goins. In a standing O. I mean, look, Ryan Goins was a really good defender. Derek yes. Fisher was one of the worst defensive performers that we've seen. Now, it doesn't sure. mean he doesn't have some skills. Okay, we know he's a fast runner, but as far as actual performance, like it, it was, it was truly awful. It was truly awful defensively. I don't deny that he had two balls hit him in the face. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't deny that. One hit him in the face for sure. One off the glove in the face area. Like it, it was not good. And I do not delight in saying that either. I really no. don't. Have some empathy for the guy. Like imagine like, yeah. you know, how humiliating. Humiliating is the right word. He's on TV in front of millions of people, millions of highlight shows, and he's well compensated for this. He's made millions of dollars in his career. So, you know, that factors in as well. But I don't delight in pointing out that Derek Fisher was a very bad defensive player. It's just... He was. And yet, I totally agree with you, Arden. Like, when I, there is no safer guarantee of getting ratioed. And like, I've got a few ways. I've got a few ways in my playbook of getting ratioed. Yeah. But there is no safer bet than tweeting something about Derek Fisher. What's hilarious about the whole thing. So people are, are like, he was that much of a trigger for people because of who he was traded for. Right. Because of that deal. And when that deal happened, the reaction was like so viscerally opposed to that deal to Aaron Sanchez, Joe Biagini and Cal Stevenson going the other way. You know who lasted the longest in the organization that they were traded to from that deal? Derek Fisher. So like, lose lose trade right there. <laughs> Derek Fisher. So unless you are 
a like Cal Stevenson truther and you think that he is going to become, you know, a, the next great outfielder and you think the Blue Jays like Delta prospect that they are going to regret for the rest of their lives. There's, there's no basis to dislike this trade today. And there is really no basis to dislike it as viscerally as people did when it went down. Think about how upset people were about the Marcus Stroman trade. Uh, is Simeon Woods Richardson? Who's that? I've never heard of this guy. They didn't even get back a top 100 prospect. Well, now Simeon Woods Richardson is like the best pitching prospect in the organization because Nate Pearson's a big leaguer now. So I, all of a sudden, like you've got a guy who, by the way, might make his major league debut this year. Um, on top of Anthony Kay, who has like you know at least been serviceable for this club for the last couple of years. And it cuts the other direction as well. Remember how positive people felt about the return for Roberto Osuna, right? Ken Giles, uh, David Paulino, and uh, I am blanking, uh, Hector Perez, right? Are any of those players still on the Houston Astros or the Toronto Blue Jays? No, lose, <laughs> they are lose. not. Yep. They are not, right? So that's another trade that was kind of like a nothing trade in either direction. So you, you think about it. Like it let this be the last time that like anyone reacts so hostily or is like like with such hostility or reacts like so viscerally or so rashly to a trade in the moment when it is made. Take this lesson, <laughs> take yeah. this L and uh in more ways than one and apply it forward and have a little bit of perspective. So that the next time that like a really unpopular trade happens, you think, all right, let's see how this plays out because we have seen it time and again people hated the marco estrada trade adam lynn for marco estrada people hated it the marco estrada became a playoff hero people hated the j Hap signing for three years and the blue jays made that free agent signing and he ended up being really really good for the blue jays so just like just remember that it's baseball it takes some time to play out you gotta let things formulate and materialize before you get too upset it's almost as though you're a casual fan on day one <laughs> of a trade cannot fully assess how it's going to play out in the totality of time. I, and look, I, I do this too. Like, and sometimes I do it because I have an opinion and I want to share it. Sometimes I do it because, you know, whatever we're on the fan or we're doing some sort of hit and we have to come up with an opinion. That's fine. You know, that's part of it. And you, you say what you know, or say what you, what you think in those, in those moments. And I hope to have enough humility to say that, look, like we just, we don't know how this is going to look in um, in the course of time, because these things do change really quickly. Sometimes you can, you know, you can kind of deceive yourself, right? Because sometimes you think, you know, and, and sometimes you're right. Like with the Josh Donaldson trade, I'm not trying to like brag or anything, but when the Jays made that trade, I thought that was a great trade and it was a great trade. It's one of the best trades in the history of their franchise. So sometimes you can have an inkling, but who knows if Franklin Barreto had gone on to become the next, I don't know, um, I was going to say William Adamas, but yeah, like, you know, better than that. Like if he had been like the next Corey Seager or something, then, yeah. you know, that probably would have changed the discussion around that trade. Sure. And I, and like the, you know, Derek Fisher's going to get opportunities, it seems. Uh, yeah. Milwaukee is going to at least get to compete for a job. Like it's still not out of the question that Derek Fisher becomes a major league player. No. <laughs> you know, no. like he, he is, he belongs to that like interesting class of player sort of between the ages of like 25 and 30 who has some sort of like tools or traits um, that make teams take 
bets on him. So like in, in Fisher's case, like obviously the sprint speed, obviously the exit velos and the walk rate and the triple A numbers, by the way, that are like insane, like the 900 OPS over a thousand triple A plate appearances with a ton of homers and the strong strikeout to walk. And so like all these things like are, this is why Socrates Brito keeps getting chances, right? Like this is why clubs give opportunities to these guys. It's not always going to work out. It's, you know, a lot of the time it's not going to work out, but sometimes you end up with Jose Bautista. Yeah. Who had like, uh, you know, at Derek Fisher's age was still, you know, quad a like, you know, on waivers being traded in like deals like this type of dude, like the Nelson fact that Cruz. Right. Um, Edmund Canacion, Josh yep. Donaldson. We were just talking sure. about him. Josh Donaldson at like 26 was quad a catcher, right? With with Oakland had a position change. People were like, "Oh, is this guy ever going to put it together?" A guy becomes an MVP. The fact that Derek Fisher still had trade value speaks to you know what the the belief that teams have in him. He brought back cash and a player to be named later. He had trade value, so that also speaks to your point earlier about how you don't just like bang a guy off the forty man roster as a punishment. Right. The guy had trade value. <laughs> So I like yeah. I, I don't know I I just wanted to go down that road a little bit. Oh yeah. I just can't think of you know. And Brito is maybe another good example. But Brito is even a guy who had even less actual playing time on the Blue Jays than Derek Fisher did. I just can't remember a a, a guy who had a rougher ride. I'll say this like personally, like and the the players because we watch a lot of baseball and there's some players you love to watch and there's some players candidly you hate to watch. And the yeah. players that I don't like watching are the guys who are just out of it. If they're right. out of it, if they show a lack of effort, I, I'm just like, I can't, like I lose my patience with those players. And so that's why like, you know, there are players who in the course of, you know, you watch a lot of baseball games, sometimes you can tell they're not trying, they're checked out. Or, you know, we, in the past, we used to see more behind the scenes stuff. You know, are they showing up late? Are they putting in that effort? Are they doing their prep work? Like that to me is like, those are the guys. But Derek Fisher never struck me as someone who wasn't trying didn't work out and he didn't play as well as the Jays wanted, but I never got the impression he wasn't trying. Yeah. And the the Blue Jays, and this is a good thing if you're a fan of the Blue Jays, just aren't in a position to give guys like that those opportunities anymore because they just need to maximize every bit of their 40-man roster, as you you alluded to in the first half, to compete this year, right? To try to win and try to win a wild card spot. They're no longer taking these bets on the burritos of the world and the fishers of the world. That's for, you know, Ben Sherrington and Pittsburgh to take that's those right now. Right. It's perfect pirates piece. Right. Or Michael Elias in Baltimore. Like that's, you know, that's where those, those bets are going to be made. The Blue Jays have moved out of that phase. Um, and, and going forward are going to have to try to maximize their 40 man. What do you think about the position player group, you know, to that end that has been, put together here like what what do you think about how the blue jays lineups are going to look about what charlie montoya is going to have to weigh on a night-to-night basis was he's finally filling out his 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 lineup card like what do you think about this offset offense i think it's great i think they have a great position player group like it's the strength of the team if they make the playoffs it'll probably be because this this group just mashes their way through the american league and hits a ton of home runs scores a ton of runs and plays improved defense so yeah, I think this is the reason the Blue Jays are as intriguing as they are. It's the biggest area that they've addressed this offseason. I think it's going to be really fun to watch in 2021. 
I think the biggest thing that I'll be looking for in spring and early into the season will just be the continued development of certain guys. Like we do forget that, you know, Bo Bichette's at an age where he can still get rapidly better. Like he can still improve. And he is a guy specifically who has gone away every winter and every off season and come back improved and come back like, oh, hey, I'm, I'm a base runner now. Like, oh, hey, I got a lot better at shortstop than I, than I once was. Extend that to like a Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who obviously like Vladdy watch is going to be a thing all spring. And, you know, people are going to be like getting like trying to, you know, get measurements, <laughs> all kinds of things with him. Uh, the conditioning is going to be improved and his physique is going to look better. I think the body composition is going to look a lot better for Vladdy. Um, for Vladdy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Not for the, yeah, past Bo. For Vladdy. I actually, just to go back to Bo real quick. I actually yeah. think Bo, like, saw a few photos of him. Looks like he's added some muscle, which a lot of guys do over the offseason. They kind of lose it in the season. Yeah. But like, looks like, you know, we all think about Vlad and fixate on his conditioning, but also it's looking like Bo is in great shape. So, sure. a good sign for Jace. Yeah, guys usually come into the year, like, bulkier. They put yeah. on a bunch of muscle, and then, yeah, you just need to, it's hard to maintain that. Oh, in the heat. Season, man. Yeah. Yeah, you, you just you, you lose it, um, especially with the amount of like quote unquote cardio that these guys have with playing games like every night. Um, you know, you do just kind of bleed it away a little bit. I think with Vlad, I'm really going to be watching the plate approach. I'm really going to be watching like his plate appearances, the pitches that he is and is not swinging at. I'm going to be looking at how the ball is coming off of his bat, if it's going like line drive or up or if mm -hmm. it's going down and just uh you know just kind of the discipline and you know he vibe the one thing about him man he really does sort of wear his emotions on his sleeve a little bit in the box like it's not hard to kind of see how he's feeling about how a plate appearance is going and we've seen the bad side of that the last couple of years we've seen him frustrated seen him expand you know see him like smacking his bat and talking to himself and, and angry um and for those of us who like watched him coming up through the minors we've also seen like the juan soto side of that like the really confident dude like the guy who's you know like taking a really tough pitch and like shaking his head at it because he's like yeah no you're not gonna get me to swing at that you know like the the really almost kind of cocky guy who was like owning the box. So I'm going to be watching all of those things uh, more so than, you know, his conditioning, which we know is going to be improved and we know he's going to look better. But I just think that another year of maturity, another year of, you know, development, better preparation, you know, having a better plan at the plate, a lot of those things, how those things kind of coalesce and come together. That's going to be really interesting for me to watch. Yeah, great point. I think um, that pitch to pitch, kind of presence that you have in the batter's box and Soto. I mean, he does such an exceptional job, especially being so young. Um, Cause I think that's probably a skill. If you could graph it, it probably would peak a bit later in your career when you have just more familiarity with pitchers and umpires and the cadence pitch to pitch of how an at bat might unfold. But Soto 21, 22 has incredible command of every at bat that he's in. He'll call timeout strategically. Obviously the body language, you know, tells you that he's in control of what's happening on the field. And, Vladdy sometimes, you know, I, I'm not saying he's copying Soto, but sometimes you'll see similar mannerisms from, um, from Vladdy, obviously a right-handed hitter, um, as opposed to Soto from the left side. But you see similarities there. And yeah, it would be, I think if you're the Jays, that's got to be the dream, that Vladdy becomes just so much more in command and so much less reactive to, oh, that was, I thought that was inside off the plate. Um, and a bit more like, all right, man, like you're wrong. I'll crush the next one anyway. Totally. Also interested to see how Teoscar Hernandez builds off of 
pretty spectacular 2020. Interested to see if Rowdy Tellez can, you know, carry forward some of the plate approach improvements that that he made last year and just what he can kind of become as as a big leaguer. He's another guy that we mentioned it with with pitchers. Like, you know, we talked about Rowdy Tellez, like he's a kid, like I don't know, he's 26, right? So it's kind of like it's kind of go time for your for your career now. And then just kind of very, very like small scale things. Kind of interested to see how the bench plays out. Like, who's the backup catcher, Reese McGuire or Alejandro Kirk? And then also, like, is it a three-man bench or a four-man bench? Is the three-man bench is that Joe Panic there, or does that you know do they carry Santiago Espinal? You know how that sort of it's you know it's small stuff, but I will be interested to see how that plays out over the spring. And I think there's room still to add a good lefty bat. You know, and and I don't think again going back to the reliever conversation, I don't think handedness has to drive everything. Ultimately, it's about the quality that you can get regardless of you know what hand the ball is coming out of or what side of the plate they're standing on. So you, you don't want to get too, too hung up on that. But I do think there's an opportunity there just to balance things out. They have a lot of really good right-handed hitters. Usually, they're probably going to have a right-handed hitter on the bench. I mean, that's, that's going to happen just yeah. by virtue of how righty-heavy their lineup is. So great. If you need a right-handed pinch hitting option, you've got one. But I think there are also going to be times where whether they're playing a National League team you know, depending on the lineup that Montoya rolls out that day, there are going to be chances where you want to have a really good lefty bat on the bench. And so I think there's room for that. I don't think, especially in this day and age, you have a taxi squad, you have big bullpens already, you have 26 roster spots. To me, I think you should carry four bench players. Like, I don't see the need to carry these like nine-man bullpens, but that's what teams seem to do. I, don't, I honestly don't really get it, but that's what teams seem to do. Well, and the Blue Jays in particular, too. Yeah. Like they have not been afraid to carry a short bench and to have a, a really big bullpen. Like that's yeah. actually, you know, more often than not in recent times, that's something that they have done. I wouldn't expect them to do anything differently going forward. Right. Yeah. So, and the other thing I would add there is just the prospects, right? Like Martin, Groshans, like those guys, at some point this year, we could see them and that'll be a lot of fun. Yes. I was going to ask you any kind of non roster dudes that you are looking forward to, to watching throughout spring i'll throw uh simian woods richardson out there because i think that he's going to be a pretty big storyline in camp like i think a lot of people are going to be talking about him because like you just haven't had a chance to see it to this point as a blue jays fan um but i think that he is going to surprise some people with how polished he is for his age and like how advanced he is at his age and as i kind of said earlier it would not surprise me at all if he makes his major league debut this season like i think that's very realistic for him he is he is really out of it, man. Like he has been on a really um, accelerated development path, even from back in the Mets days and the Blue Jays kept him on that path. I think he's the best pitching prospect in this organization. And I, you know, I think the people are going to be pretty impressed with how advanced he is. Awesome. Yeah. That'll be fun to watch for sure. And then for me, yeah, it would be on the position player side, you know, again, kind of adding strength to strength because I think that is organizationally, clearly the lineup is what's driving the team right now. And then some of their better prospects are our position players, infielders, guys like Austin Martin, Jordan Groshans. I'm really curious to see what they can do, you know, especially we'll get some minor league numbers, you know, as, as opposed to being in this kind of yeah. black box that the alt site was last year, like it will be eventually pretty interesting to see how these guys perform yeah jordan groshans hasn't played a game in 20 months right like an actual wow. like you know affiliated yeah. baseball game obviously he's at the alt site right but yeah an actual game it's been a long time well and it goes back to your point about the error bars right like this season is just harder to predict because we don't even like 2020 is like it's so hard to take real draw real conclusions from what what happened then 
And I think the thing that people will come away with when it comes to guys like Groshans and Martin and Woods Richardson is just how um, confident some of these kids are. Like, you know, getting to be in my position and talk to some of them and, and write about them and interview these kids, like they all have that Bo Bichette thing, you know, where it's like, I know I'm only like 20, 21 years old, but like, I think I'm a big leaguer today. And I think I'm going to break camp with this team and I'm not scared of anybody. And I'm incredibly confident in my abilities. And like, they, they carry that confidence on the field. Like Simeon Woods Richardson is like a fiery competitor, man. Like this is a dude who like wants to beat you and like, isn't afraid. There are some Marcus Stroman tendencies in there, like in terms of like celebrating and, and enjoying himself on the mound and nodding his head and just like the swag that he carries onto the field. And I think that Groshans has that. And I think the Martin has that. Like, I think that uh, Adam Kloffenstein, who's going to be in camp, has that. So there is really very much like a little bit of that, that culture coming up through the minor leagues. And a lot of these guys like know they're good, think they're going to be good for a long time and like want to get to the big leagues today. Like they all have that sort of that edge that we've gotten to, to know from, from Bo Bichette. So I think that like people are going to get exposed to that a little bit this spring. It's going to be interesting to see. For sure. Yeah, it, it's always good. Hopefully get to watch a lot of these spring games. Um, <laughs> yeah. It'll be nice to watch baseball again um, after, you know, it's obviously been months since, uh, since the Jays last played. So it will be fun once all, get, all that gets started. Yeah, even you get to our first look at guys like Miguel Geraldo and like Leo Jimenez. Like, yeah. Two, you know, teenagers, international signees, but like two guys who are in big league camp for a reason, because uh, clubs really high on them. Um, and one other name I'll throw out there, Joey Murray. It's like just watch this kid go. Like just watch some of the swings and misses he gets. I'm not saying he's gonna be like you know front of the rotation dude or anything like that. I'm not saying he's gonna be a Verlander Scherzer, but watch this kid have like you know a Yusmero Petit career where he is just hanging around, man. He's just getting big leaguers out consistently and putting up strong numbers um, and flying under the radar a little bit. Like that's how he's almost gotten this far is flying under the radar because he doesn't have like spectacular wipeout stuff, but he, he knows how to pitch and he gets a lot of swing and miss. And, uh, you know, like even just talking to some of the guys at the who were at the alt site who faced him and they're like, he's, you know, he's getting better. <laughs> like He's like the real deal. He's pretty good. And Murray is another guy who I'd put in that class of, you know, pitchers who I think there is a very good chance that we see at the big league level this year. Wow. Well, it'll be fun to watch. He's Miro Petit. That's like a sneaky, like kind of complimentary comp to a pitcher because like he has had such good staying power. So as you said, it's not like that all-star that you think of, but um, there are way worse career paths out there than use Merrill Petit. And we should say too, anyone looking for kind of a rundown, Arden wrote one up on Sportsnet. So that's the full breakdown of all of the different uh, invitees to this year's camp. Yes, lots of links in there to the past, uh, you know, things that I've, you know, more expansive things I've written about all those guys and uh, maybe something expansive on uh, on a prospect coming up uh, we'll pretty soon here at, at sportsnet.ca, uh, something that I'm pretty excited about. So that's coming up. Then Shy and I are obviously going to have coverage of, of camp and all the goings on and, and everything that you need to know about the Blue Jays. We roll towards the season. Uh, well, that's going to be it for this episode of At The Letters. want to thank our producers, Christian Ryan and Mike Tassoni. He's Ben Nicholson-Smith. I'm Arden Zwelling. Thanks, as always, for listening. Talk to you next time on At The Letters.